You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Monica Bay. And I'm Bob Ambrogi. We've been writing about law and technology for more than 30 years. That's right. During that time, we've witnessed many changes and innovations. Technology is improving the practice of law, helping lawyers deliver their services faster and cheaper. Which benefits not only lawyers and their clients, but everyone. And moves us closer to the goal of access to justice for all. Tune in every month as we explore new legal technology and the people behind the tech. Here on Law Technology Now. Welcome to Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. Today we're going to be talking about a recent small firm survey conducted by Thomson Reuters. I've written a little bit about it on my uh, Law Sites blog and also on, on Above the Law, but we're going to go into a little bit more depth on it today with William Jostin, the Strategic Content Manager for the Legal Executive Institute at Thomson Reuters. Bill, welcome to uh, Law Technology Now. Bob, thanks so much for having me. Nice to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you again. Uh, Bill, just to start off, tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. <laughs> sure. So I am uh, a former solo attorney that's now with Thomson Reuters. I've been with TR for about seven years, uh, and I've been with our thought leadership uh, organization, the Legal Executive Institute, for about the last two, two and a half years. Uh, in my role with the Legal Executive Institute, uh, it's my job to sort of plan and manage content that's geared specifically towards engaging legal decision makers and executives. So targeting managing partners, uh, practice area heads, corporate GCs, LDO professionals on the, the, the corporate side, uh, and trying to figure out what issues are they asking about, what issues should they be asking about, and what messages should we be delivering uh, to those audiences to help really drive the conversation in a meaningful way and hopefully help spark meaningful change within the industry that's going to help pull the business forward. This is the second year that uh, Thomson Reuters has done this small solo survey, I believe. I think believe it's just the second year. Correct. I don't know. If, were you involved at all in, in actually conducting this survey, or you've just been kind of involved in digesting and analyzing it? The, what's your role in this? Uh, actually, a little bit of both. Uh, both years, I've been fortunate enough to be involved in helping to put the questionnaire together and then doing a lot of the analysis and writing about the results as they've come in. So tell me in general terms about the survey, about what it uh, was for and, and why Thomson Reuters decided to do it. Well, we wanted to have a survey that looked specifically at the small law market. Traditionally, that's been sort of an underserved population when you look at analysis of the legal industry. We see a lot of stuff coming out around the corporate uh, legal department. We see a lot of stuff that's focused on the larger firms, you know, mid-size on up to the AM law firms. Um, but that small offer market is hardly going to handle on. Uh, it, it's something that, that doesn't get studied as much, but it's a huge proportion of what makes up the, the legal market in the United States. So we wanted to do something that was specifically geared towards that market. And we wanted to specifically engage the managing partners, the leaders at those firms, and especially trying to, to drill into the solo market because there's a lot of insight that we can gain from, from what they're experiencing looking at 
Are things for the larger firms trickling down to these smaller firms? What are their unique challenges? Just really trying to get at some of that and really trying to come at it from not just a quantitative standpoint, but a more qualitative and emotional standpoint. So as you look through the survey, you know, things like, where do you see most of your competition coming from? That stuff that it's hard to get at if you're looking at, you know, quantitative data from a financial system. Those are things that are, you're connecting on a much more emotional level because you're getting into that gut feel of, of what these attorneys are experiencing on a day-to-day. And I think that's an important way to be able to look at the industry, both from a quantitative perspective to understand what's happening, but also from a qualitative to get into the how and why. That's really what we're trying to do with this particular survey. It's some of the quantitative analysis, but also understanding what it is our attorneys are feeling, where their pain points are. So it's not just data on billing and profitability and hours worked and that sort of thing, but really kind of an impression of, as you say, sort of sort of first-person impressions of the challenges and issues and uh, concerns that small firm lawyers have. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, well, you know, from a quantitative perspective, we do a lot of quantitative analysis uh, of the legal market as well from, from various data sources that we have within TR, like Legal Tracker, Peer Monitor, Monitor Suite. And those are great because we can see the nuts and bolts. What are firms investing in? What do their billable hours look like? What does rate growth look like? You know, those quantitative KPIs that are vital to understand when you're looking at the health of the market. But equally important is getting at the, so why are these things changing? You, know, you can look at data that says technology investment is increasing by such and such a percentage. But getting into some of the more emotional things that we do with the state of small loss survey that lawyers still feel, to a certain extent, a bit overwhelmed at the pace of change of technology. Um, but at the same time, they also feel that embracing that technology and the efficiency that it brings is vital to not only their past success, but also their future strategy. That's the type of insight that we're really trying to get at here. Yeah. And I should uh, interject here that the full survey can be downloaded uh, from the Thompson Reuters website, although I don't there's not a, a short <laughs> URL that I can easily recite here in the middle of this broadcast that I know of. Uh, maybe there is, but uh, certainly I think if somebody just Googles 2017 state of U.S. small law firms, they will get to the survey. Yep. And when we post the show, uh, I'll, I'll make sure the Legal Talk Network people uh, include a link to it there as well. But I, I want to ask you, I mean, you're a former solo practitioner yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you looked at this year's findings, was there anything that really kind of jumped out at you about what it reported? Well, you know, looking at it from my own background, having been uh, a solo attorney for a number of years, what jumped out both last year and this year to me was just how much I connected with so many of the challenges that the lawyers responding to the survey identified. You know, when they talk about things like challenges acquiring new client business, spending too much time on administrative tasks, you know, those being sort of the, the top two challenges that were identified by you know, the bulk of our respondents. Those are things that I immediately connect with. You know, those are things that have been among the top challenges for both years that we've done this study. And they're things that I, I very much can appreciate from my time in practice. You know, understanding, especially as a solo practitioner, trying to figure out where does that next check come from uh, I know when I was in practice, I did a lot of my work flat rate. So I would often joke, but I mean, it, it's only half of a joke that the only meeting with the client I ever really got paid for was the first one. You know, obviously I'm getting paid to do the work for them, but in that first meeting, if I do my job right, they like me, they're going to engage the matter with me, they write me a check. That's the last dollar I'm going to see from that client. 
So then in order to continue to sustain my business, I've got to continually have a stream of clients coming in. So that was something I'm very much related to because that's definitely a challenge. And I think it's, it's still an open question. What's the best way to be able to get at new business? And of course, there's a lot of different answers to that. But then also that idea of spending too much time on administrative tasks. Um, again, I've, I've joked in different presentations that when I was in practice, I, I did primarily criminal defense. Uh, but I said I spent about 50% of my time as a bill collector, 40% of my time as a guidance counselor, and 10% of my time as an actual practicing lawyer. And of course, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But that's how it felt to me, that most of my time was going to running the office and trying to make sure that I was getting paid and those types of things that they don't really prep you for in law school. But if you're going to be successful at running a law firm as a business, they're absolutely vital. And if you're in a solo attorney practice or even in a smaller shop, you don't have a choice. That has to be your job. That's a hat you've got to wear. You don't have necessarily the staff to be able to pass that on to. So those are things that I, I immediately connected with from the, the first time I saw these results. Yeah, it was really interesting. I, the, the survey, as you say, did it both years kind of made the point that solos and smalls are spending an awful lot of time on administrative tasks. This year, it was basically 70% of respondents saying they're spending too much time on administrative tasks and 25% saying that's a, a significant challenge for them. I mean, you know, what are some of the other challenges that they're facing besides getting clients and dealing with the administrative stuff? Well, some of the other things that they've identified as really their key challenges, uh, at least in terms of what's a significant challenge for their firms, you know, things like clients demanding more, uh, basically demanding more for less, dealing with client rate pressures. That's also been a consistent theme for both years. Now, Fortunately, in 2017, we saw a slightly smaller percentage of respondents actually saying that that's a significant challenge for their firm. How much of that is due to a, a little bit of a different population of respondents and how much of that is due to uh, maybe some changing strategies to be more effective in dealing with clients? That's probably an open question that I don't necessarily know we have a great answer to. But that's something that, you know, that's one of those trends that we see across the industry. No matter what size law firm you're looking at, that idea of clients pushing back on rates realization suffering as a result of that. That's something that, that we see very, very commonly across all sizes of firms. So that, that was something that it was a bit reassuring, not surprising to see it happening uh, in the small law space as well. And I think you, you can talk to just about any small law lawyer and they're going to say, yeah, especially in my B2B type relationships, that's something that, that they feel a lot. So to the extent that attorneys recognize the challenges their firms face, what are they doing to address those challenges and meet those challenges? You know, unfortunately, the sad answer is not much. Um, when you look at, at some of the survey results, we see very high percentages of respondents identifying a particular challenge, but we also see a, a, almost an equally high percentage of, of respondents saying that they're really not doing much to address it. Uh, you know, when you look at the actual report itself, um, the percentage of lawyers saying that they're identifying, you know, for example, 75% of respondents said that they have challenges acquiring new business, but 71% of those same respondents say that they're not really doing much to address that challenge. So out of every 10 lawyers that say they have a challenge acquiring business, seven out of 10 of them really haven't uh, adopted a strategy of how to confront that. And I think, you know, part of that is probably they just don't know what steps to take. And I think especially in the small law space, when we're looking at 
not address the challenges. Uh, again, it comes back to that idea of just their scale. I, I know in my practice, I, I was both a solo and at a small firm. Uh, and we certainly recognized that, you know, we, we were among the 70% of respondents that said we had a challenge spending too much time on administrative tasks, but we really didn't do anything to address it because it's an eat what you kill operation. And if you are taking a day or two out of your working week to try and address some of these issues and to try and implement systems that are going to more effectively combat some of these things you're looking at from an administrative task standpoint, whether that's a day or two that you're not bringing in new business. And like I said before, you know, I'm always looking for what's the next check coming in. When is my next client or my next potential client going to come in such that I can get a paycheck for that day? Um, and if I'm taking two days to try and figure out, well, let's redo our client relationship management or let's figure out a more efficient way to onboard clients or those types of tasks, then it's really taking away from my ability to run the other side of my business that's actually getting me paid. And you don't necessarily think far enough down the road to figure out, well, if I take a day or two to address this issue, that's going to create enough capacity for me that, you know, within the first month or two months or whatever, I will have more than made up for it because I'll be spending a lot less time on administrative stuff. I can spend a lot more time with clients. You're thinking much more in the immediate, uh, you know, what, what does my day-to-day look like and which clients am I going to sign today so that I have income coming in? That longer term, you know, a couple months down the road, payback on the investment to build that efficiency doesn't really necessarily enter your equation. So, when I looked at this, I, I wondered if it was quite as bleak as it might seem at first glance insofar as it, while only a small percentage of respondent firms here were saying that they had actually kind of affirmatively taken steps to address these challenges, it seemed that you know an additional percentage said they had plans in place to, to address these challenges, mm-hmm. which seemed to suggest they were working towards uh, actively addressing these challenges, even if they weren't. And I know the blog post I wrote about it, I, I kind of combined those numbers to say, if you look at those that have actually implemented changes and those that say they have a plan in place to address those challenges, then you get up into uh, much higher percentages uh, in terms of firms that are you know, again, either actively or planning to actively address the challenges. Is that a fair way to look at it or, or am I missing something there? Yeah, I think it's definitely a fair way to look at it. Because when you start talking to the lawyers that are actually, you know, living this day to day, you don't necessarily hear a lot of, no, we're not going to do anything about that. You hear a recognition of the challenge and maybe a bit of frustration from some of them that they don't know quite what they want to do to address it but they understand that they are things that do need to be addressed. So I think you are starting to see more motivation around, well, let's look at what a potential solution might be. And they're starting down sort of that iterative path of, well, so let's try X as a solution. We'll see how that works. And then we'll sort of pivot off of that and continue to try new things until we land on something that seems to work for us. So I think you're starting to see more of that happening. And I think you're going to continue to see that as lawyers sort of start to realize that a lot of these things are permanent trends. You know, stepping outside of the state of small law survey, somewhere in the neighborhood of 95% of respondents to the Altman Wild Law Firms in Transition survey this year said that a need for increased efficiency is going to be a permanent trend in the profession. So I mean, there's, there's nearly universal recognition. You can't get 95% of people to agree on just about anything. But there's nearly universal recognition that things like 
getting more efficient in how we run law practices is going to be a permanent trend. And law firms, even small law firms, can be challenging ships to turn. There's just a lot of institutional inertia, I call it, within those organizations you know, for the reasons that we've already talked about. You know, We don't necessarily want to step away from the business to fix the business, but that is becoming more of the reality of their day-to-day. You were talking about some of the, I guess, some of the institutional challenges even in small firms to to address change and, and to address uh, efficiency within their firms. How does that play into competition? I mean, one of the challenges, one of the chief challenges for small firms is getting new clients. What does the survey tell us about, you know, what firms are doing to uh, address that challenge of getting new clients and who, who are their chief competitors? Who are they going up against here? Yeah, um, that's a great question. In terms of their chief competitors, most of the respondents to the survey, both last year and this year, identified other law firms of similar size as their chief competitors. Uh, and then we also see things like significantly larger firms that compete for the same clients. That's a significant uh, source of competition. And one that we really saw a big jump in this year is online health help or legal DIY sites, so the legal Zoom type competitors. Last year, we saw a 55% year-over-year increase and the number of respondents saying that legal DIY sites are presenting uh, you know, significant competition to them. And candidly, I think that that number is still too low. It went from about 11% last year to 17% this year. So that's, I mean, that's a healthy jump, but I think that number is probably still a little bit low. And when you look at breaking that number down by sort of a sub-segmentation of the small law firms, when you look at, like, for example, solos, that number jumps to almost 30%. I think it's actually 28% are saying that they're facing competition from legal DIY sites. So you know that it's a big source of competition in the market. In terms of what they're doing to differentiate, and in terms of what they're doing to, to win that new business, you see a lot of focus on wanting to sort of become the, the best. They want to build internal efficiencies so they can better serve their clients. A lot of their efforts on how are we going to win new business are focused around uh, how do we keep our current clients happy such that we have repeat business from these clients whenever possible, and how do we turn them into good referral sources? Uh, when you look at what are the success factors that law firms have identified as helping to drive their success in the past 12 months, client referrals is a fairly substantial source of that, where clients, you know, word of mouth saying, I worked with this particular lawyer and they did a fantastic job. That's been a good source of new business for a lot of these small and solo law firms. And that's going to, I think, continue to be a focus. And a lot of that has to do with how are they serving their clients? How easy are these law firms to do business with? You're seeing a lot of focus there just in how they're delivering client service. And that's something that really trickles throughout the entire market. It's certainly not unique to uh, the small and solo space. How small and solo lawyers do it, of course, is different than how a large AMLA firm would do it. It's much more interpersonal. You don't necessarily have a client team that you're dealing with at a small firm. You are the client team. You're the one who's really in charge of that relationship. But it's how that overall firm operates. How quickly do you get to a good result? How easy is it to get the law firm paid? How close do you come to the client's expectation in terms of what the costs are going to be? Those are all issues that factor into that. Bill, and that competition from the do-it-yourself sector, does the survey offer any hints or do you have any insights from your own analysis of the legal industry as to how small firms can counter that? 
you know, it's a huge challenge, I think, for, for small firms, just because we like to do everything online. You know, when you look at larger firms, you see some of the really big firms starting to offer what have sort of been dubbed in the industry, freemiums, where it's essentially work product from the large firm that is available at low or no cost to a potential client. So thinking like uh, a startup business, some of the business formation paperwork being offered as a competitive opportunity to some of these legal DIYs. I don't know that you're necessarily going to see that as much in the small law firm space. I think where the small law firms can really sort of start to differentiate themselves. And, and an argument that I've heard small law firms making is, yes, you can go and you get the forms, but you don't know for sure how current those forms are because you don't really know when the last time they were updated was. You don't know who's doing the maintenance on those forms. And if you have questions, yeah, these sites advertise that you can pick up a phone and you can talk to a lawyer. You don't know who that person is. You've never met them. You don't know their experience. And in a business like the legal profession, where it's so much about the person sitting across the table from you, and I don't mean that in the opposing counsel way, I mean that in your counsel, the person that you're meeting with that's counseling you, a lot of clients will say, I don't hire the law firm, I hire the lawyer. And even in a B2C situation like you see with a legal DIY site, those individual consumers still have that idea that, they want to know who it is that they're working with because they're entrusting this person, you know, whether it's their estate plan or the formation of their business or whatever, they're entrusting this person with the success of that venture. So that idea of having that personal connection and being able to deliver a meaningful relationship, I think is a way that small law firms can continue to set themselves apart, uh, at least in terms of the clients that are going to come in and want to engage you. Now, a secondary challenge to that is how do you get yourself in front of those clients or potential clients rather in a way that you sort of interrupt them or intercept them before they have a chance to get to the DIY site. So I think employing to make effective that connection in the first places. Right, exactly. So I think employing effective technology from an SEO standpoint, you know, for your online presence, having an effective online presence is absolutely vital. You know, if if you want to be the lawyer that someone in your area thinks of, you know, when they're looking for, you know, for example, an estate planning lawyer, well, you better be towards the top of those Google search results, you know, figure out something that's going to set you apart that really makes it unique. And that could be, you know, first of all, it has to be how your SEO is done and how your, your website is positioned, but there may also be something unique that you can do from an offering standpoint. You know, what can you bring to the table? that's maybe a bit unique where somebody goes, huh, I haven't seen that before and it makes them want to pick up the phone and actually have a conversation with you. Yeah, that's good advice. This year's survey and last year's survey surprised me in one way, which is that you know after you go through the survey and you read about lawyers who are spending too much time on administrative tasks and working hard to bring in new business and addressing all these other challenges, trying to keep up with technology and changes of the law, all these other challenges that they describe, the survey describes, when you get to the point of asking them or when the survey gets to the point of asking them to characterize their success, overall, by a large majority, they consider themselves successful. The survey this year said that uh, 56% considered themselves successful and another 30% considered themselves very successful. So overall, we've got 86% of these lawyers <laughs> characterizing their firms as successful. 
are they are they looking at themselves through rose-colored glasses? I mean, how do you account for that view of themselves as successful in the face of all the challenges that they describe? Well, I don't know that I necessarily call it rose-colored glasses, but I mean, essentially the way the survey is structured is we're asking them, what is your primary measure of success and how do you rate yourself against that? So, I mean, hopefully, I mean, I, I, I would be very surprised under that type of a construction we didn't see a lot of firms saying that they're successful. Now, if we were looking at it from a quantitative perspective, digging into their financial management systems or you know w- whatever their bookkeeping apparatus is, would we necessarily have the same assessment? You know, If we're looking at it from a straight KPI standpoint, maybe, maybe not. But the fact of the matter is, when newsletters are saying, well, this is how I primarily define success, whether that be repeat client business, overall profits, overall revenues, although I hope it's not overall revenue, or their client satisfaction rating. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's encouraging that what they're identifying is their primary driver, their primary definition of success. They feel they're marking well against that. That being said, one thing I would caution for those people in small offerings that are listening to this, one thing that I would caution is be careful how much of that you do off of just gut. Um, if you're saying overall profits are your, your primary driver, well, that doesn't necessarily just mean the balance in your checkbook. I know that that was sort of, when, when I was in practice, that was really my motivation. That was my, my sort of driver was, is there money in the bank account? If there's money in the bank account, I must be doing okay. Well, that's, it, it's more complicated than that. So I, understanding, am I taking good business? Are the matters that I'm engaging actually profitable? I would often pitch matters and say, well, I normally bill at about 150 bucks an hour. This type of stuff normally takes, you know, right about 10 hours. So, client, I'm going to do this for you for $1,500 flat. The majority of my work was done on flat rate, but I never really went back and looked to say, how many of these things do I actually close in less than 10 hours? And where did that $150 an hour number come from? You know, does that accurately reflect what my expenses are plus a certain profit margin, you know, so that I can actually pay myself? didn't really get into those types of specifics. And I think that's vital. Another thing that really jumped out from the survey was the number of firms that said that client satisfaction was either the primary definition of success for them or a key component of success. Had a lot of firms saying that that was something that they really paid attention to. And yet when we asked, I think the way we phrased the question is, which of the following metrics do you track within your firm? Only 34% of respondents said that they tracked client satisfaction ratings. And that doesn't even necessarily, we didn't get specific into, are you compiling net promoter scores or any specific methodology? You know, client satisfaction ratings could be as simple as, are you reading your online reviews and do most of them seem to be somewhat positive? You know, only about a third of lawyers said that they're tracking client satisfaction ratings. Far more said the client satisfaction ratings were important. Well, if it's important, you should be measuring it. That's some advice that I would offer then to those small firms is once you've identified what matters, are you measuring it so that you can manage it? So KPIs are important. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is law technology now. We haven't talked about technology all that much yet. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did want to talk about that because the survey did ask about this a little bit and particularly asked about law firms' adoption of new technology and how that fits into their practice. So can you summarize for us what the survey found about uh, lawyers using technology? Sure. In looking at the results, 
both years, uh, 16 and 17, about half of the respondents to the survey said they'd adopted new technology within the past 12 months. And when we look at the reasons for why some of that is, when we look at the reasons why law firms are making major changes, one of the top, two of the top really, reasons for those changes, one, they want to improve quality of service. Two, they want to reduce cost. And a lot of that ties back to being able to increase efficiency. You know, if you're able to increase the efficiency with which you're operating, then you can do things in a more efficient manner. You can serve your clients better. You reduce overall complexity. So the types of technology that they're investing in are the things that enable them to to make those types of adjustments. And that could be from a matter management standpoint, you know, actually streamlining their day-to-day workflows. Uh, And it can also be from the standpoint of how they handle their back office. You know, when you look at, we've already talked about that idea of spending too much time on administrative tasks. Well, when you look at those firms, you mentioned the, the breakdown of firms that identified themselves as either not successful, you know, neither successful nor unsuccessful, or just plain said, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not being very successful. You compare those to the firms that say, no, I'm very successful. One of the big differentiators is the sort of middle of the road to unsuccessful firms said they spent nearly twice as much time on administrative tasks uh, than did the very successful firms. Very successful firms say it's about 8% of their time. Unsuccessful firms say it's over 15% of their time. So it's almost double. You also see about a four percentage point differential between those two populations in terms of the amount of time that they spend actually practicing law. So I think it's something in the neighborhood of 62% of the a very successful lawyer's day goes to practicing law. 58% of an unsuccessful lawyer's day goes to practicing law. So between those two figures right there, you're talking about almost a 12-point differential in terms of how they're spending that time. And that 12 points goes into other things that really help to maintain and drive the business, like client development and business development. So those types of efforts do have a return on the investment that you're making uh, if you can find those types of efficiencies. And when we look at other results that sort of tie into that technology aspect, a lot of it focuses on that ability to improve internal efficiencies and just finding, finding better ways to be able to produce results. It, to me, it's heartening <laughs> that lawyers seem to be finally getting it that that technology will actually help them improve the the quality of the services they're delivering and reduce the costs of the services that they're delivering. Uh, the survey seems to suggest that, that lawyers get that now or are starting to get that in greater numbers. I, I think that's absolutely true. And one of the other, when you look at sort of the, the earlier results in the study, when we're talking about the challenges that small law firms are facing, 67% of respondents last year said that they face a challenge from increasing complexity of technology. So that's, that's two-thirds of respondents saying they feel kind of underwater with all this newfangled machinery stuff. Yeah. But then you look yeah. at this year's results, and that same option, that increasing complexity of technology, has dropped to 45%. So I think we're seeing lawyers either getting more comfortable with increasing technology or realizing that Saying it's just too much of a challenge, it's too complex, I don't want to deal with that, isn't an option. Yeah, although I wonder I wonder about that only because I, I know just from my own experience when I go out and speak to groups of lawyers, I'm still hearing an awful lot of lawyers, especially in smaller firms, who are just struggling with the challenges of technology and struggling to keep up with technology. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that continues to evolve over the next couple of years. I want to ask one last question. The survey looked at firms of basically from solos up to 29 lawyers. I'm wondering if anything jumped out at you 
regarding the differences between Solos and some of the other larger firms in the survey. Is there anything kind of unique about Solos that stands out from the survey? You know, there's, there's a lot that's actually different about Solos and how they think and just their attitudes about the business. Um, one of the big ones, I think, initially is uh, that idea of the, the source of competition from DIYs that small lawyers, the majority of firms, the average was 17% said that they saw competition, but 28% of solos said that they saw it. So that they're feeling that pinch a lot more. Um, you know, there was other things that really jumped out as differentiators that, that really weren't all that surprising. You know, with solos, we're much more likely to see the majority of their business being B2C. You know, they're looking at individual consumers uh, as compared to businesses. You know, just the numbers really quick. Solos say that roughly 75% of their revenue on average comes from individual consumers uh, compared to only uh, 20% from businesses. And those are almost exactly inverted for firms that are between 11 and 29 lawyers, where they're saying that 65% of their revenue comes from businesses, 20% comes from individual consumers. So there's a, a, a big gap there. And then just you know, some of the other things, like in terms of their success ratings, Solos were a little bit more likely to include client satisfaction ratings uh, as a success factor. And in terms of what they defined as the, the primary definition of success, there again, we saw a, a little bit of a differential. You know, our, our larger firms are more likely looking at things like profit. And that certainly is uh, a key factor for our solos as well, the overall profits. Um, but then we also saw larger percentages you know, looking at things like uh, repeat business, client satisfaction ratings, not necessarily the same financial metrics, you know, some of the more qualitative, uh, more touchy-feely type metrics. You know, and the reason for those differences, is, is, there's a variety of possibilities to that. Um, you know, some of them could be that they, because they're dealing more with consumers, they're more concerned with that, that emotional connection, that, that satisfaction that the client's feeling. And another reason could simply be that they aren't as sophisticated with their bookkeeping, so they don't watch the profits as much because they have a harder time calculating the profit as compared to just looking at the revenue coming in. Bill, wrap it up for us. Any kind of final thoughts, big takeaways from the survey that you want to uh, close with? I think that one of the things that we're going to start to see as we, we trend this year over year for you know going into the future, I think we're going to start to see more and more firms saying that they are addressing some of the challenges that they're feeling. I don't necessarily see that we're going to see the percentages of firms saying that they're experiencing these challenges decreasing because uh, I think that the pace of change in the legal market just isn't going to slow down. We're going to continue to see challenges in acquiring business. The legal market's going to stay relatively flat for demand. It's going to stay essentially zero sum. We are competing with other law firms for market share. Those types of things I think are going to be trends for the foreseeable future. But hopefully we do see a, an increase in firms saying that they're confronting those challenges because they're looking around what are bigger firms doing that I could maybe emulate on a smaller scale? What are my competitors doing that I can copy? What can I do that's maybe different that, that brings something to the market that perhaps hasn't been presented this particular way before that really sort of sets me apart? I'm hopeful that we'll start to see those types of things as we get further down this path and, and lawyers continue to confront the reality that these things are just going to be what they are. It's going to be permanent. We're going to have to figure out a way to deal with it. Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to be with me today and uh, discuss the survey, share your thoughts on it. I really appreciated it. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. 
We've been talking about the 2017 State of U.S. Small Law Firm Survey conducted by Thomson Reuters with Bill Jostin, Strategic Content Manager for the Legal Executive Institute at Thomson Reuters. This is Bob Ambrogi on behalf of everybody at the Legal Talk Network and my Law Technology Now co-host, Monica Bay. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for another episode of Law Technology Now. information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.